Lauren Taylor, front and center. Missy, come on down. You're the next contestant on God's plan for redemption of his people. Hey, you guys, most of you know, Lauren is headed to Ethiopia. You know where you're going, don't you? I hope so. <laughs> don't get out of the wrong plane. I didn't tell her I was going to interview her. <laughs> I didn't tell her I was going to ask her any questions, so I'm catching her off guard. But you're going to do what in Ethiopia? Uh, I'll be working in a school uh, teaching. Yeah. Loving on little kids. Yeah. yeah. And she has a great opportunity to bless them with, with Christ's love. We get to send her out. And so this morning, before we get into the message, I'd invite you, if you're in her community group, if you've been a part of this journey and want to just put your hands on her and just commission her, send her out with, with, uh, under, under the auspices of God's authority and power, I'd encourage you to come now and, uh, and do that. <clears throat> you guys take a minute and just pray around her. We'll pray along with you. Uh, and then I'll close us up uh, in just a few moments. So many things that Lauren has to deal with and face, the logistics of travel, the, the getting her stuff there, um, being able to uh, pay her way. And, and God, in so many ways you've already provided, we're just going to continue to ask that you do that. And that as she's there, that your spirit would rest on her. Holy Spirit, we're going to ask that you empower her for miraculous things, that together, that through her, that you would bring people to the knowledge of Jesus Christ, that, that you would point them to the truth, that you would make him famous through her, God, that, we, that, that when she comes back, that even as she's there, that we get to hear stories of power and provision and, and, and stories of children whose lives are changed, not just for the moment, but for eternity because of the work that you're doing through her and those that are with her, the, the, um, just the, all around her, God. I, I pray for um, the safety, that you'd keep her well and healthy and strong, that she might, that she might make much of you and, and do your work well. It's all these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Lauren, you're loved. We're excited for you. We are proud of you, and we can't wait to hear what God's going to do. Um, maybe we'll have the air conditioning fixed when you come back. <laughs> she won't be back till January, so we won't need it um, for a while. But uh, today we're starting into our series on Ephesians. I've been looking forward to this all summer. I began re reading through and studying and thinking about Ephesians a long time ago, uh, and so I have really been looking forward to this to this day and and opening this sermon series uh, for quite a while. Um, but as we begin, I mean, we've got a lot to go through, so we're just going to dive right in. Not a lot of introduction, not a lot of, not a lot of setup. I'm just going to, uh, the, the whole day today is really set up for what's to come. And so we're just going to jump right in, and if you've got your Bible, you can turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Uh, we're going to just deal with the first two verses today. Uh, we're going to spend a lot of time talking about different things that are illustrated there and demonstrated there. Um, and, and so if you've got your Bible, you can follow along. If not, the verses will be on the screen uh, and always, version. we have a live event. If you go out to version and, and you have a smart device and go out to version, you find a live event for the way. Uh, you can follow along with all the notes there as well. But let's just, let's just read the verses, and then we will uh, deal with what God has to say, uh, I believe, through them. <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 1, 1 and 2. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus... By the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. 
Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm just going to say, a lot of people, as, as, as they um, read letters like this in the New Testament, they skip right past these verses. They just read them, and they don't really stop to think about them. It's kind of like how we greet one another. Hey, how you doing? Oh, I'm doing good. How are you? And, and, and really, you know, when we say things like, what's up, you know, we're not really asking what's up. We're just saying, I recognize you're in front of me, and I'm, I'm responsible to say something. We're, we're not really asking those questions. And so I think sometimes in our culture, we come to this place where we read greetings like this in the New Testament, and we just skip past them like every other greeting we deal with on a daily basis. Now, I'm thankful for our short greetings. I'm glad we do it. I'm, I'm just going to tell you why. In Senegal, in my, in my experience in Senegal, they have, they have greetings that take upwards of two minutes. I mean, they stand in front of another and they say, how are you doing? I'm doing good. How are you doing? How's your family? How's your wife? How's your husband? And they, they were, they've got these several phrase greetings. And I was so impressed by that because it seemed like they really cared about one another, right? I mean, they were standing in front of one another saying these things. And then as I got familiar with the culture, I watched a little closer and pretty soon you recognize that they're saying these things under their breath. They're not even looking at one another. They're, sometimes by the time they get started, they've already walked past one another and they're saying it over their shoulder. You know, and it's, it's really kind of funny because they've got these long, and they will keep doing it even if they can't hear the other person. It's pretty funny. But I'm, so I'm thankful. I'm thankful we've got these short greetings. But, but the reality is, is we can't look at this greeting as just one of our cultural, hey, how you doing? What's up? We, we can't do that. We've got to stop and take time. It, 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 the, the reality is, I think, I think the fact is that it's because of this greeting that the rest of the letter even matters. I mean, you, you hear the words in the greeting, and if Paul doesn't say what he says, I, I think we might as well go find something else to do. But here's the first point, and the first thing I want you to get out of this. The detailed study of Ephesians is, worthwhile, is a worthwhile endeavor because of its divine source, because of where it comes from. I want you to, just for a moment, imagine what it was like for those first readers of this letter, those first people that set you know, whether they were in a house or whether they were in a public common area, we don't really know. But those first people that sat around and, and, and the messenger comes in and the messenger says, hey, I've got word from Paul. He's in prison. He can't come himself, but I've got word. I've got a message from Paul for you. And I think they probably sense excitement and, and want to read this. And they probably gather around and a, one of the people open it up and they, you know, it's not like pulling it out of the envelope. It's probably like unrolling it and beginning to read and they come to that first phrase, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. And, and I can see it. I, I can see in this moment as they're reading, that person reading and those listening, that person reading stops and, and grins and looks at those around him and says, yeah, it's from Paul. Th this is the real deal. You see, there's authenticity here. It, it's it's, it's going to be good. We need to hear what he says. This guy has changed our life. We believe in Jesus because of the work that God's done through him. We need to hear what he has to say to us. But it's more than just authenticity that we hear in these phrases. And I think in, this, in, the, in the very first phrase, in the very first piece of this verse where he says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, I, I think that we see not only authenticity... But we see authority and reliability. 
the authority. Let's, let me just explain those and break it out a little bit so that you can, you, you can be with me in this. Paul comes not bringing his opinion, not bringing what feels good, not bringing what, what he thinks is going to make them happy, although he, I think he does long for their joy. But he brings them truth based on his identity in Christ. Paul is an apostle. That simply means one who is sent, an emissary, a a representative, an ambassador, someone who is told to go and represent someone else. So Paul is Jesus' emissary. And as Paul goes out, Paul goes out not only with Jesus' message, but with his authority and by his authority. And so as we hear these words, these are not simply words that Hey, man, if you like them, take them. If you don't, leave them. You know, pick and choose. It's not like going to the grocery store and deciding, I need bread, but I don't need milk, so I'll leave that and I'll take this. That's not what this is. This whole letter comes with authority. Now, I know that's a dirty word in our culture, and maybe even a dirtier word is submission. But these words... These, these perspectives, these ideas, they, they're brought to us. And so as we hear this letter, it's not ours to lord over and decide what we like and what we don't like, what we'll apply and what we won't apply, what we'll decide is worthy of our study and what's not worthy of our study. It's ours to hear it and then make ourselves obedient to it. To wrap our life up in it rather than wrap it around our perspectives and make it fit our views. And so we see this authority. Not because, not, I mean, just imagine if, if Paul had opened this letter, Paul comes in and says, Hey, you know, Paul, an apostle of Jimmy the Greek, by the will of Guido, has a whole other connotation, doesn't it? This is my death sentence. You know, it's a totally different thing. It means something totally different. These guys, they wouldn't have... Wait a minute, I thought you said this was from Paul. Oh, it is from Paul. It's not the Paul you expected. Well, this isn't worth our time. It's not worth our effort. It has nothing for us. There's nothing for us to give ourselves to. There's nothing for us to submit ourselves under. Just some dude that decided he thought he was important. And threw a tag on the end of his name. You know, that, that, it has no authority. But Paul is God's emissary by God's authority with God's message. We need to know that. We need to hear that. Because we live in a place, in a culture, in a time when we want to rush by verses like this. And it's not just this verse that we'll rush by. But it's the verses in 3 through 14 that we'll just rush by. It's the prayer at the end of chapter 1 that we'll just rush by. It's the truth that comes in chapter 2 as he talks about the church and talks about the people of God being made one that we'll just push on through. These words have authority. And, and it becomes necessary for us to understand them, to know them, that we might live rightly, that we might live honoring God in alliance with God, in obedience to Christ our Savior. But it's not just uh, authority. I, I told you, I think we see in here reliability. Reliability, and it, it is the idea that we can trust it, that we, this is the check that we can actually take to the bank and know it's going to be cashed. 
Now, I might, I might come through for you sometimes, or even maybe most of the time, but I will not always come through for you every time. This is completely reliable. You will never be let down by it. It will never prove false. It will never be unbelievable. So, in chapter 1, when Paul writes that you were predestined to be holy and blameless, you can believe that. You can believe it. In chapter 2, when, when he talks about us being saved by grace through faith, and this, not of ourselves, we can count on it. It actually has meaning. It's worth knowing. In chapter 3, when, when he refers to God as one who can do more than we can even imagine. His power is so great, you can't even imagine. You can walk in confidence in this world because of it. Because you can know that these words are reliable. But what happens if Paul starts the letter? Paul, a representative of the team at Wikipedia. Wait, wait a minute. Maybe, maybe worse yet, Paul, I, 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 my name is Paul. I ran into a snake oil salesman out in the desert, and he told me I have the answer for you. I happened to look at Scott Sturman. I heard him say the other night, I've got beachfront property in Springfield, Missouri, just for you. He's a real estate agent. I don't know if that's good or not, but. <laughs> and, and that's the thing, you know. It totally changes, right? All of a sudden, it becomes less reliable. Now, at least, I mean, at least with Wikipedia, you can go and look at sources, and uh, it becomes reliable. In fact, I, I looked up some stuff on Wikipedia just as we did this, and, and looked at what Wikipedia would say about the letter of Ephesians and, and who wrote it. And they're convinced that Paul didn't write this letter. And they've got resources that you can go to and look at that say Paul didn't write this letter. Now, all of that is contemporary. All of it's new. So here we are, distant by, by about 2,000 years, deciding that we don't like who they said wrote it when it was written. You, I mean, you get that? There's, that's a breakdown there, right? All of history, all of church tradition tells us Paul wrote this letter. As people received this letter and accepted this letter, they recognized Paul's authorship. It was reliable to them. And it's important that we get that because when we, when we take these two ideas of authority and reliability and we put them together, well, suddenly, suddenly there, there, there's something real and tangible that we can stand on. It's like choosing to stand and, well, like Jesus said, you build your house on the sand or you build it on the rock. We've got God's word given to us by God's messenger meant for God's purpose in our life. It's important. And so know this. Know this. The detailed study that we're going to get into, the detailed, in-depth study that we're going to deal with in the coming months and, and even into next year, it's worthwhile. And I know, I know, because I know what happens when you take your time in books. And we live in a culture that wants to just constantly move on. There's change, always change, always change. And we go through a series of about four or five weeks, and we're ready for the next series. And we want something different. We want something new. I don't like that anymore. I want something new. It, 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 it's got to be fresh. 
Let me tell you, there's nothing fresher and more relevant in this world than the truth of God spoken by God's men who have God's message. There's nothing fresher. There's nothing more relevant. There's nothing more worthy of giving effort and time and attention to. But yet we do it, don't we? You see, I know what's going to happen. And so I'm going to just call you on it right now. If you're not in the church and you're not planning on coming back to the church, you can probably ignore this piece. But if you're in the church or you're visiting today and you plan on coming back, hear this. When it comes time to move on, or when you begin to feel like it's time to move on and we're still dealing with Ephesians, come back to this verse and read this phrase again. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. And I want you to think about the value that's wrapped up in this idea that God thought enough of you and me that he'd send somebody with his message so that we could hear it and respond to it. Is there any more, is there any larger blessing, any more greater news to hear? The God who spoke our world into creation, into existence, wants you to hear from him. And so he sent Paul with a letter. And then I'm just going to ask you to, to stop and, and, and think about that phrase and then ask yourself one simple little question. One word. Why? Why am I tired of the study of God's word? You might even ask yourself that question today. Why do I not recognize the authority? Why do I not recognize the relevance? Why do I need it packaged up in some pretty little four-week study? And we'll, we'll be in it about 20 to probably somewhere between 20 and 30 weeks. I, I'll just say, uh, John Calvin, this was his favorite letter. He preached through it in 48 weeks. John MacArthur, Ligon Duck, and I don't know if I'm saying that right. A couple, a couple of others have, have 61 weeks, over six chapters. So when we're in week 10 and you're ready to be done, just remember, we could be working towards week 61. <laughs> now remember, remember, this is God's message from God's messenger sent on our behalf. And the detailed, in-depth study that we'll do is absolutely worth every effort. Let me just help you see how important we, your leaders, think this is. It's not just Sunday morning. In fact, the letter of Ephesians is so important. It's, it, it, certainly, there's other books of the Bible you could study. Certainly, there's other, other letters from Paul in the Bible that you could study. But we feel so strongly about our study and, and, and digging deep in the Scripture that we're not setting aside Ephesians for, to fill your Sunday morning. Your community group study is going to be built out of um, Ephesians. Mark Driscoll recently wrote a book. It's called Who Do You Think You Are? It is an exposition of Ephesians. And it's not, I'm not going to follow his outline. I'm not going to preach the same messages he preached. But he's going to take Ephesians, interpreting it the same way, but applying it completely differently. He's really going to build in you, build through this book, a, a view of God's identity built out in us through the truth that's revealed in the Scripture in Ephesians. I'm going to focus on the rebellion that God began to work 
the gracious rebellion against sin that God began to work. It's going to be two different perspectives with the same truth. And I believe, I have no doubt, if you will do the work, if you'll take the effort, if you'll take the time to, to, to give into this, that you won't be disappointed. We know that all scriptures, God breathed, useful for teaching in righteousness, rebuke, correction. It's good for training the man for every good work. The, the reality is there's not a moment of this that will be wasted if we don't approach it grumbling and frustrated and wishing there was something else we could do. The reality is this. We're going to study scripture. That's what we do, right? I mean, so why does it matter? It's all good. And it'll be worthwhile. Another thing that we're doing is uh, we're encouraging you to read through it regularly on your own. In addition to that, I know that there are some of us that have committed to uh, memorize the whole letter. We're not going to emphasize this in our community groups like we did through Galatians. We recognize that there is some weakness in that, and we're learning from our mistakes, and we're moving forward. But the reality is, if you want to memorize with us, we're putting together resources. There's a booklet here uh, that we've put together, and it breaks it down in, in bite-sized chunks. If you like to memorize in the 21st century, there's an app on, the, on iOS and Android devices. It's P, the number 2R, P2R. And on that app, Ephesians is broken down exactly as we've broken down this book. You can have it on your phone. You can have it on your iPad or your, you can you know, look at it wherever you are. It's, it's, it's easy. It has a place you can type in notes to help you remember, things like that. So download that app. Even if you're not memorizing, the app would be worthwhile because it's an easy place for you to read and make notes and help you learn and dig and, and, and look for the gold that's buried under the ground. You see, it's worthwhile. We believe in it. And, and don't think that it's a mistake that our first, or, or, or coincidence even, that our first uh, in the equip ministry, in the discipleship studies that we are going to do throughout the course of the year, that our first is a a study of hermeneutics or a study of how to study the Bible. We want to equip you with tools that enable you, as you work through Ephesians alongside of us, for you to dig. We want to give you a shovel to dig with. We want to give you the, the, the pickaxe to break through the rocks so that you can see the gold gleaming from it. We want to equip you that your study becomes effective. That's just how important we think this is. And so I would just encourage you to commit with me right now. Let's just, let's, let's give it its due. Let's do the work. Let's, let's commit to the effort. And when we hear one another grumbling, let's point each other back to this first phrase. And remember just how special we are. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God. Because of that phrase, every word that comes after it is worth hearing. It's worth studying, it's worth thinking on, meditating on, dealing with. Every word, you will not be disappointed. But it's not just, the, that, that's not the only phrase in, um, in the introduction. And by itself, you know, while it carries great weight, it, it loses some of its power if you set it off by itself. Because if Paul never addressed the letter to anyone, if he never sent it, it wouldn't be worthwhile, right? It, the, the idea of a communication like this, a letter, that it, it finds its value not only in the person writing it, but in a person reading it. And so we have to know that it was addressed. And, and so we see it says, to the saints in Ephesus who are faithful in Christ Jesus. Now I'm going to give you the point, and we're going to break through this. I, I just want you to hear this point. The grace, peace, hope, blessings, and promises of, this, uh, of the letter of Ephesians apply to all Christians from all times even now. 
there is, there is so much good in these six chapters. And it applies to every believer, every person who's found in Christ. Now, before you start questioning and saying, well, you know, you were so specific with that first part of the verse, you ought to be that specific with the second part of that verse. And, and really it says that this is to those Christians in Ephesus. How can you apply it to us? Now, let me just let you in on a secret that, that nobody's trying to hide from you, but it's just most of us don't know. In the original, man, well, I can't say original manuscripts because we don't really have a, original manuscripts. We have many, many, many copies of what was the original. But in the oldest, the most ancient, which we would deem the most reliable because they are closest to the source, those two words in Ephesus aren't there. So, suddenly, it changes from specifically applying to the people in Ephesus to applying to saints who are faithful in Christ Jesus. Now, there's a lot of thought and a lot of discussion about that. Commentators and, and Bible interpreters and Bible students, they've dealt with that in a number of different ways. I appreciate F.F. F. Bruce. If you know F.F. F. Bruce, he's a really conservative theologian, great to read from. I would encourage you to, do him, to, to read from him, to listen to his teachings and things like that. F.F. F. Bruce, is, he says and believes that it was the responsibility of the messenger to insert the name of the city he was going into. So if he was going into Colossae, Colossae he would have said, hey, it's Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints in Colossae, or Laodicea, or even Springfield. You see, the reality is that this is a universal letter that the truths in it apply across the board. So the, the grace, the peace, the hope, the power, the blessings, the promises, every one of them apply directly to you as a believer and follower of Jesus Christ. But we need to deal with that idea too. Because in this, in, in this part of the verse, we also see a really important, and I think beautiful tension that exists within the Christian faith. And first, we see him call us saints. Now, unfortunately, we live in a culture that, that is tainted by the Roman Catholic view of what saints are. You know, saints in the Roman Catholic view are super Christians. They're, they're, they're Christians to the power of ten. You know, so they've got like extra power, and they're extra holy, and, and, and they do great things. But we have no reason to believe from the Scripture that that's, that that's at all what this word refers to. In fact, in the original language, the word saint is the same word that's translated other places as holy. So what it really appears to be is that Paul is uh, referring this letter to everyday normal people who have been made holy by God. If you're here and you've been made holy by God, and, and really that simply means that you've been set apart for his purpose. Whether you realize it or not, you make things holy all the time. Every time you go to the grocery store and you pick up a loaf of bread and you leave the other 100, 200, I don't know, maybe there's 1,000 if you're in Walmart, you know, all those loaves of bread, you just picked one. You just made that loaf of bread holy unto you. You set it apart for your purpose. And as soon as you go and you pay the price at the, at, at the register for that loaf of bread, it's holy. It's yours. That's what being holy is. And so God, the Scripture teaches us, we, we just studied this recently in, in the summer with God in eternity past, 
looks into, into the present, into, into, um, into time, and he chooses and he elects. This, this deals with, this is a perspective of his election of his people. His choice. He, he says, well, that one's mine, and that one's mine, and that one's mine, and, and, and oh, you're mine too. And he makes you holy. He sets you apart for his purpose unto himself. That's the idea of being a saint. You don't ever have to have made water you know, from wine. It's not like you ever have to have, have, have made a blind man see or a, 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 a deaf, deaf person hear. You're a saint, not by your own doing or by the power that you work out, but by God's decision. And, and get this, he also made it possible by the price he paid for you. You make that bread holy as you pay for it at the cash register. He made you holy by the price paid for you through the, son, through the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. He bought you. He bought you. Your sins are removed not because you worked miracles or you followed some tradition. Your sins are removed because Jesus' blood has been applied to you and washed you clean. So today, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, if you're this saint, if you have been made holy by God, he sees you in this identity. He sees you not as a sinner, but a saint. He sees you not as filthy, dirty, but white and clean and pure. That's the idea of what it is to be a saint. But there's a tension. Because his phrase doesn't just talk about what God does in salvation. It talks about the faithful Christian, the faithful one in Christ Jesus. And all, all we can do here is recognize that it is that the response of faith is as important as a choosing by God. John Calvin says this in commenting about this passage. No man is a believer who is not also a saint. No man is a follower of Jesus who has not already been chosen by God. And on the other hand, no man is a saint who's not a believer. These two things are inextricably woven together and cannot be separated. You should know, as, as, as he's talking about that, he's talking about an active faith. And the people that he's referring to, the people that Paul is referring to, that he's addressing this letter to, are the very people we've talked about for the last three weeks. It's those people who are, who are the Hebrews 12 people who are setting aside their sin and the weights that hinder so that they can run the race that God's laid out for, for, for before them. They're those people who recognize they've been chosen by God, but who are now working out their salvation with fear and trembling. They're those people who willfully choose to pick up their cross and follow Jesus. Die to themselves that they might live in him. Die to this world that they might gain faith. See, this tension, we can't get away from it. But it's these people who these blessings and who this grace and who this hope and who this, who this power and who these provisions are made for. The faithful saints 
They've been made saints through Christ Jesus, and they've been made, or they are faithful unto Christ Jesus. But on the other hand, there's a distinct connotation here that we have to deal with as well. Outside of Christ, inside of Christ, as a holy saint, you have all of this that's yours. Outside of Christ, you can only observe his blessing, but you will never be the direct beneficiary of it. And we got to deal with this. Because before we study a word in Ephesians, you need to stop and take stock in your life. You need to take stock in what you're trusting in, what you're believing, in, in what you know or who you know. Let's talk about it for just a minute. I mean, in our culture, we, we try to remove the tension of what it is to respond to Jesus, to believe in him. We, we, some people call it easy believism. I mean, you've been in those meetings where the leader of the meeting says, bow your heads and close your eyes. And, you know, if you want to believe in Jesus, raise your hands. Well, go ahead and say this prayer. Now, if you said this prayer and you raised your hands, you're a believer and you're going to heaven. Now, I'm not, going to, I'm not going to tell you, I'm not here to undo what might have been part of your salvation experience. God can certainly save people through that methodology. God can certainly bring faith to a person in the midst of that kind of meeting. There's no doubt in my mind that, that if you've come to this place, and, 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 but, but here's the thing, you, you, can't, you can't base your assurance there. Your assurance can't be from the moment you prayed the prayer or raised your hand. Your assurance can't come from the work you did. There's no assurance in a prayer prayed or a hand raised when it's not followed out by a faithful, a faithful life. You know, when I first joined the army, I was, I was not a believer. I was raised up until the time I was about eight or nine. I was raised by a pastor and. and and he actually, um, before he left us, left our family and, and went and did his own thing, left the church, his life went into a spiral. Before that, he taught us the truth of uh, what it is to be a Christian. He taught us and gave us information and knowledge. And all that did for me was give me a bunch of knowledge. And so when I joined the Army, I, I went in and I, they asked me, what's your what's your religion? Are you a Christian? And I said, yeah. And so on my dog tags, they asked, well, what's your denomination? And I had them put Baptist because that's all I really knew. I didn't really care. But I had enough knowledge that when these Bible thumpers came evangelizing us soldiers, and thank God they did. But as they came and evangelized us, I had just enough knowledge to give them the answers that they wanted to hear so that they could leave me alone. Because I had better things to do. You see, suddenly my assurance is not in what I know. Rather, it's in who I know. Do I know Jesus? Do I walk in relationship with him? It's no longer about the information I can pile in my head. Because that just empowers my flesh. You see, the assurance comes out of a changed heart that's made a saint who then can respond faithfully in Christ. My mom, if, you, if she tells you her story, and many of she's talked about this in front of several of you, I think, she, uh, she was raised in church all of her life. When she got married to my dad, who later became a pastor, he wasn't a pastor at the time they got married, but later became this pastor, 
when they first got married, they weren't going to church together. Somebody would come and pick her up, and she was serving in church. She'd sit every week, and she'd play the piano. She was on their worship team. Back then, that was a piano. She played the piano for every song service that they had. And she wrestled for about a month, listening to the conviction of the Holy Spirit pushing on her. You're not a Christian. She said she heard it. You are not a Christian. She'd tell you that. And she wrestled for a month. And, then, and one day, one Sunday afternoon or Sunday morning, she's sitting in church playing the piano during the invitation, you know, because back, that, back in that day in every good Baptist church, there was an altar call, and you didn't close the service without having an altar call. And so um, she's playing the piano, knowing she needed to get up and profess her faith in Christ, knowing she needed to respond. She was so proud and so afraid of what people would think. She sat there. Thankfully, she approached the pastor afterwards. It wasn't what she was doing in the church or how she was serving that gave her assurance today, that gives her assurance today. But the recognition of the life lived out of the power of Christ and his converted identity within her. You see, the assurance of faith isn't in what we do who, or, or what we know, but wells up from the new identity that desires Jesus more and the world less. And so I'm talking to a lot of people who may have been raised in church. Your daddy might have taught you all the right answers. And you showed up this morning to hear the very first opening introduction to Ephesians today. And you might not be believing in Jesus. And we can't take another step in this passage in this, in this book, in this letter, until we all take stock in our lives. Are we saints who are faithfully in Christ Jesus? Now, I don't want you to hear me saying, I don't want you to hear me saying that there's nothing in it for you if you're not a believer. There's plenty in it, but you will only ever be an observer. You will only ever get to see what's possible without really experiencing it. That will freak you out. Let me tell you a story. It's a familiar story. You've heard it before, I'm sure. But I think it's important. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the midst of his creation, he created it in perfect harmony. There was peace. He lived in connection, close, intimate relationship with it. He created a man and he created a woman. And he gave them purpose and mission. And he said, go, be fruitful, multiply. And rule over the earth and subdue it. And one thing in all of his creation he held back from them. The fruit of one tree. They had everything at their disposal but one tree. And they determined to rebel against God. And they sinned. And they ate that fruit thereby inducing a curse from God in, in be, putting themselves under the curse of God. And every person, every offspring, even the earth has felt the weight of that curse. The Bible tells us now that no one is righteous. No, not one. No one seeks God. No one. It tells us that 
all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That includes me and that includes you. But God, two powerful words really if you stop and think about it. In spite of how we've acted, not because we deserved it, God instituted a gracious rebellion against sin and death. Acting in opposition to the very things we set in motion. In spite of who we are, not based on what we could do, God decided to do something good for us. And so he sent his son into a world who would reject him and ultimately kill him and think that they got the better of him. But it was all part of God's plan. See, God sent Jesus to die in our place for our sins, to pay the price that he could make us holy, to pay the price that we could be made his, to buy us, that we can now live in relationship with him that we can now live in obedience to him, that we can now seek him, that we can now pursue him, that we can now have righteousness that wasn't ours to begin with. And the Bible teaches us, for God so loved the world, that he's motivated by love, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The one condition, the one expectation, Believe. Not believing in him like you believe in Santa Claus. It's different. It's trusting him. Depending on his work. Trusting that his price, that the price he paid was sufficient. That you will be brought home because of him and not because of yourself. Take stock in your life. What are you trusting in? What's your heaven? Where's your hope? Do you love your money and the stuff it provides more than you love God? Do you trust it to bring you satisfaction, to give you hope and security and comfort? Do you desire sex more than you do your Savior? Do you work harder for comfort and control, power and prestige and approval? Who do you believe in? Who are you trusting? Because it's not only the saints, it's those who are faithful in Christ Jesus that these apply to. You are only faithful because you've been made holy, but if you've been made holy, you will be faithful. Who are you faithful to? Let me close with this one last thought. See, it's because of the gospel that we are able to enjoy the benefits of God's gracious rebellion instead of the fruits of ours. It's because God sent his son and then God sent Paul with this message of redemption, this message of grace and peace. And that's that next phrase. Grace and peace to you. These benefits are benefits that we enjoy because of the gospel, grace, the unmerited good, the, the work of God on our behalf, and peace, 
No longer are we enemies with the one who created us. He's brought us to his side. We're sons and daughters, citizens of heaven. And we are children who have an inheritance waiting for us. We are a people who have been made righteous and no longer separated by sin. And see, the pages that follow, the words that follow, the verses that follow are so full of grace and peace. Don't walk away from an opportunity to trust the one who will make it possible for you. Maybe today you're already believing. You're already that faithful saint. Man, praise God. Does that not excite you and move you? What he's done in you? Does that not build in you an even greater desire to give yourself up to him? But you know, every one of us struggle. Every one of us will have times that our hearts, our flesh, it will fight against us in this pursuit. So don't hear me condemning. But certainly listen for the Spirit's conviction. Because there is no room. There is no room on the throne of your life for anybody but Jesus. So as you sit there, as you recognize, I've, I've always been, I, I, or I have been made this. It becomes your responsibility to act like it. That tension. Maybe today you've never, you, maybe you've sat in church. Maybe, maybe you have, have heard it like I did. Maybe you had somebody intimately teaching it, and all it did was give you knowledge with which to pump your, to puff yourself up with, to defend your flesh. Hear the call. Believe in Jesus. Don't, don't miss this opportunity. The blessings on the other side are much more beautiful than the, than the instant that we're on the face of this earth. Maybe, just to maybe today, you're, you're struggling with something. You need help. You need somebody to stand alongside you. We are here to help you. We are here to stand together, to bear with one another under the burdens that we feel in this world. Don't, don't, don't let this day go by. There are faithful Christians who walk together here that want to walk with you and help you and support you. And there are faithful Christians here that want to see Jesus made much of, not just in their own life, but in yours also, and in Springfield as well. We'll be at the back if you want to pray. If you've got questions about what it is to believe in Jesus, there'll be people at the back. We'd love to talk with you. We'd love to pray with you. But most importantly, as you deal with this moment, this moment's made possible by Jesus. You can hear it all the way through, even in these introductory words, you can hear it all the way through Paul's word message. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God. This all comes to us through him. To the saints who are faithful in Christ Jesus. It's all made possible by his work on the cross on your behalf. You come and you celebrate that work and you, and you walk in gratitude. But let's do this however you need to respond. Let's do it as Matt comes to lead us in song. Let's pray. Father, you're good, you're gorgeous, you're gracious.
We're grateful for the work of the cross. We're grateful for the message of the cross. We're grateful for the hope it provides. Would you, would you just cause us in this moment by the power of your spirit to be still? That we, may that we might take stock. That we might recognize where our faith lies. That we might recognize that as believers, we have been given a new identity. God, would you just build us up? Would you, would you strengthen us? Would you, would you empower us? Would you let us sense the joy of your salvation? God, if there's one here today that doesn't believe, that's never never trusted, that has all the knowledge, that's done the, the, the good works, that, that has raised their hand and said a little prayer, but has never trusted God, would you in this moment bring them to life, open their eyes to the truth, and call them to your son. We love you, Jesus. We're grateful. Thank you. It's all these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.